Welcome to Local SEO Today. On this podcast, John Fong interviews business professionals and entrepreneurs in many fields to uncover challenges and successes in business ownership. Our goal is to provide you with insights into the entrepreneurship journey and give you tips and advice from real experience. Brought to you by Local SEO Search based in Toronto, Canada. Thanks for listening to Local SEO today. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode. Joining today is Mitch Russo. Mitch founded Timeslip Corp, which is so which he sold for eight figures and then became the CEO of Tony Robbins and Shit Homes Business Breakthroughs International. Now he helps businesses get to the next level and scale with his proven systems. Thanks for being on our show today, Mitch. My pleasure, John. Great to be with you. So I always start this off uh, with just advising some of our uh, listeners who don't know you a little bit about who you are, what you do today, or what you're known for, and a little bit about your backstory. Sure. So what most people know me for is my association with Tony Robbins, which is not, I mean, it's wonderful that they do, but that's not the most important thing. Tony is an incredible individual. And we had a lot of fun for five years building a company, the three of us, Chet Holmes, Tony, and I. Uh, that company went from about $3 million when I joined to about $30 million right before I left. Uh, and it was, it, was a, it was really an ex- incredible experience, both working with Tony and my friend, my deceased friend, Chet Holmes. Um, so that's what a lot of people know me for. But most of my... I would say my skills came from building my own company from zero to 10 plus million in revenue. Uh, That's where, you know, we all go to school, if you will, the the world of experience comes in and, and make sure that we know what we're doing or else we, we get, we don't get to succeed. And so I learned a lot in that journey. And then from there, you know, I went on to invest in other companies and, take what I knew about building companies and helping others do the same. And I still, to this day, uh, help many, many CEOs scale their company in many unique and different ways. That's amazing. So how did you um, start this journey? So did you go to school for business? Like when you started this whole uh, journey, right at the beginning of finishing college or university, can you go way back, if you don't mind? Sure. Well, I'll go way, way back and tell you that I got my real first business education working with my dad in his candy store business. Amazing. So my, my dad was a serial entrepreneur. He would move from location to location all over New York City and open candy stores. And um, um, he was a brilliant marketing strategist in his day. Uh, he was unusual in that he would build his stores uh, backwards than most people would because he would put all of the roasting, nut roasting equipment in the front of the store and vent it out the front window. And we would get in on a Saturday morning at 8 a.m. or 7.30 and start the roasters. And 35, 40 minutes later, there was a line of people outside the store at eight o'clock in the morning wanting to buy a bag of, of roasted cashews. So my dad understood stuff like this. We would, we would um, on Easter Sunday, we would, we would fill the trunk with baskets that we built the day before 
and find a corner, uh, pick up two pieces of wood as a sawhorse, you know, like a tilted sawhorse and find an old door or something on the street and set up shop on the corner. And we would, we would sell out usually in three hours. And this was my dad's way of teaching me how to be an entrepreneur. So as I grew up, I had a rock band in school and I started a rock band, John, you may have heard the story because I was really a very shy kid and I had no female friends and wanted some. Uh, and so I figured a rock band would be a great way to meet girls. Well, it was. Uh, and it turns out that I learned a, a ton about scaling and promotion and quality and testimonials and advertising. And we eventually, in less than two years, became the highest paid high school rock band in our entire region. Now, go back to 1968 and 69, we were billing $500 a night uh, for for our little four-piece band, and we weren't even old enough to drive. So it was because we had paid a lot of attention using what you might call market research to what kids wanted to play and hear and do at parties. So we would learn a song. It'd take us a month of practice to get a song to the point where we felt it was really professional. And then from there, we would go out there and promote and we would, and we ended up with gigs that we couldn't believe we really landed. We ended up with uh, the mayor of New York's um, election party playing on the ship for their party, which was incredible, you know, and it was just a, a lot of fun. And anyway, it was only later that I, that I found that my path through university was, was fractured. Um, I didn't enjoy college. <clears throat> I found that um, there were some very interesting things about schools and I literally went from school to school and I'll, I'll have, you know, John, that I've dropped out of some of the finest universities in this country. Um, and um, I learned a lot during that process too, but eventually what it came down to is having two things, a good idea and passion. Now I didn't say a great idea. Did you notice that? Yeah. Definitely. And the reason I didn't say it was a great idea, because I don't think any single idea starts out great. If we go back to Federal Express, you know, the Federal Express story about how Fred Smith uh, took his, this plan that he had for Federal Express and turned it into his thesis teacher. Thesis teacher gave him a C. Yeah. And and do you know the story of what happened? He, he gets in front of the thesis teacher thesis teacher, and he goes back and says, well, I thought this was a great idea. Why'd you give me a C? And he goes, apparently you didn't think this through very hard, did you? And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, your idea, which is brilliant, which is to shorten the time it takes for banks to process checks from seven days to one day, relies on loading all of these checks onto planes with all of this processing equipment on the plane itself and then delivering all the checks into a hub, which then would separate them out and spread them out throughout the banks in the region. Brilliant, except one small problem, Fred. And he goes, what's that? And he goes, all that equipment and all that paper, too heavy, won't fly. So Fred had to go back to the drawing board and refine his idea. And that idea became, the, 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 the genesis of the idea really became the hubs. 
And the only thing out of that idea that stuck was this ability to deliver, to pick up packages, deliver them to a hub, and then with that hub, go out and deliver them individually and then do that in one day. That became what we now today know as FedEx. So in my own case, we started a software company around an idea that was basically mandated by the IRS. And that idea was you had to keep contemporaneous records of your computer usage if you wanted to deduct your computer from your tax returns, which I wanted to do. That's how I got involved in this. I got a computer for $6,000 and I couldn't deduct it because it wasn't a business tool unless I could prove it. So I looked around for software to help me do that. I couldn't find any. So I decided to build it myself. And I got a partner and the two of us fleshed it out over six months until eventually we got it finished and we quit our jobs. The following day, my accountant calls me up, John, and he says, Mitch, I got some bad news for you. I said, okay, hit me. He goes, well, you know that great idea that you had and that software that you're building? Yeah, well, I'm sorry, but it's all obsolete. I said, what do you mean? He goes, IRS just completely removed and relaxed those rulings. No one needs your software anymore. Well, at this point, I was heartbroken. I had no job and I was desperate. So my partner and I got together and we brainstormed, brainstormed, brainstormed until we figured out that there were other people who needed this type of product. And we then made a list of everybody who needed this type of product. And most of those people were lawyers, lawyers and accountants. So after blowing our entire $6,000 marketing budget uh, on useless ads, we regrouped and focused on tiny vertical markets. And that's how we scaled that company from zero to 10 million without any investment capital at all. That's amazing. So how long did it take you to do that? Well, you know, <clears throat> people say that um, this is, you know, that I, that I was very lucky. And, and I, I have to admit, I was very lucky. Um, the, 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 the situation for us was that <clears throat> we, I was in say, I was in the electronics industry and it took me 14 months before I earned my first commission check. And most people wouldn't wait around 14 months uh, to make a commission check, but I was determined and I knew I could. So by the time this came around, there's a whole story behind that. Um, by the time I ended up making that money, uh, I had gone 14 months with virtually no uh, remuneration at all. I had savings. I had built several real estate developments and I had some savings. So I lived off my savings, but I knew in my mind, I had a vision for what I could do with this job. And I did it because my first big commission check from maybe $1,500 previously <clears throat> was $34,000 a month. So now I'm, I'm 24 years old, generating 32 to 36,000 a month in commissions. And I did it in a very unconventional way. Um, and what I ended up doing is uh, being an engineer, because I had studied engineering in school, 
instead of going to sell my products to the purchasing office where all the other salesmen were, were collecting in the lobby, smoking cigarettes and trying to get the purchasing agent out for a drink, I instead focused on the engineers. I went back because I felt comfortable with my own kind. I went back to the engineers and I showed them the magic that our products had. And I got them to design those products into their circuits. Many of them were custom engineered products. What that meant is that there was no price negotiation. Why? Because I'd show up at purchasing and say, okay, I need it. I think you're going to have to place an order for half a million of these parts at $26 a part. And the guy would say, well, what do you mean? We, uh, we want a better price. I said, nope, sorry. They go, well, we don't work that way. We negotiate. I said, well, I understand, but this is a custom part that we designed for your company. And he said, well, how did you do that? <laughs> and the bottom line is that he had to place the order. So I started generating all this income and I was so unsophisticated financially that I would go from bank to bank, deposit my checks until they each one had $100,000. And I'd take the passbook, remember passbook savings accounts? Oh, yeah. I'd take the passbook and throw it in my sock drawer and I'd move on to another bank. And until I had a basically a sock drawer filled with these passbooks, I was afraid I might lose one. I didn't even know how many I had because the money just kept coming and coming and coming. Uh, and then at that point, there was a huge downturn in the industry. And with that downturn, I started asking other people what's going on. And they said, oh, you know, the electronic semiconductor industry is cyclical. And we're going to go through a cycle right now. But don't worry, four to five years from now, it'll come back strong. And I said to myself, four to five, what? Are you nuts? I'm out of here. And that's when I used that capital to start Time Slips Corporation with my partner, Neil Air. So Neil and I, Neil was a brilliant technologist who had built five programs before. And I was the business strategist. So I said I was, I'd never done it before, but I, I knew I could, I had that confidence. And so we both put $5,000 into a bank account. Uh, we spent I would say a quarter of that money <clears throat> on uh, working to get a, a partnership agreement with a lawyer, half of that money to buy Neil an IBM PC, which we didn't have. And the rest of that money we had set aside for marketing. But both Neil and I were able to support ourselves through this journey. We figured it would be six months to a year before we made a salary. Well, we were wrong. It was two and a half years before we made a salary. But we had an incredible journey along the way. My first real act was because I didn't have really any money to market other than wasting the money we started with. I figured the only thing I had was my enthusiasm, my passion, and my energy. So I got busy and I went from trade show to trade show. I walked the floors in Las Vegas, 2 million square feet. I covered most of that in, in almost two weeks. Uh, wore out shoes and, you know, exhausted to the nth degree. But six months later, those review copies I had dropped off started to become little seeds turning into oak trees. One in particular grew through the um, chance meeting with one of the senior reviewers at a big magazine called InfoWorld. Well, InfoWorld published a review of the time slip software 
and rated it the highest they had ever rated any, rated any other product. Now, before that review came out, we were comfortably selling six, seven, eight copies of time slips a week at $99 a copy. And uh, we were okay, meaning we could float the company on that little amount of money because we were working from home. Uh, we both could support ourselves. Our expenses were very low. And then when that review came out, all of the things that I had been working on, like trying to get into major retailers, trying to get into distribution, no one would talk to me. Everyone turned me down until that review came out. Because I had those connections, all of a sudden, we went from selling six copies, six to eight copies a week, to 600 copies a week Amazing. in one week. And it wasn't because we were brilliant or smart. Yes, the software was fantastic, but it was because we worked really, really, really hard. We paid a lot of attention to what customers wanted. We did a lot of the legwork to get the PR in place, to make the connections, to build joint ventures. So the three key things that I did to start that company, because I didn't have a lot of money, was PR, and joint ventures. And then eventually that PR led to interviews, radio interviews in particular, some television interviews too. So using those three tools, I was able to create enough growth to get to the company to the point where it hit seven figures and kept climbing. And that's when we were able to finally afford to employ other tools. Now, notice I didn't say we were then able to afford to pay ourselves because we didn't. We wanted to plow all the money back into marketing. We knew that we had a great product. And we also knew that time was not on our side. Competitors were fierce. Uh, the market is fickle. The software platforms change all the time. So we had a window of opportunity and we had to grab it. So that's what we did. That's amazing. And I love that, that you're telling me like you're, you were a salesperson at heart, right? You were out there hustling and that's that that resonates with me because that's how I started my whole career right mm -hmm. I was traditional advertising sales and I worked at Yellow Pages and it was more about the grind the telephone the outbound solicitation getting to understand and read people and that's what hard work is all about before you even start anything and you going out there and really bringing value, listening, understanding where the gaps are, and then going back to your tech, uh, you and your partner, and refining the product so that when it goes to market, people will actually give raving reviews, actually have a really good experience. And that, I love that. So how long afterwards did you exit or do you currently still have it until you started working with, you know, Tony Robbins and Chet? Well, the company had grown to the point uh, where we were, you know, we, we started out with a $5,000 line of credit with the local Beverly National Bank. And um, by the time we were in the uh, almost eight figures, high seven figures, our credit line was close to $2 million. So, what would happen in the software industry is that we would grow the company, the company would continue to grow, uh, but so would the expenses. So 
we would typically um, spend more throughout the year than on an average we would make until the upgrade cycle. So an upgrade is when we announce to the user base that we have a new version and they have to pay $69.95 to get the new version. Well, that would bring several million dollars overnight into the company within 30 days. So what we would do is we draw down the line of credit so that we could build up to that upgrade cycle and then boom, that upgrade cycle would generate so much cash, we pay back the line of credit back to zero, which is what the bank likes. And then from there, uh, once the line of credit was at zero, we'd start borrowing again until we hit upon something interesting. And I'll tell you this story because I think stories that happened in our lives are, are elements of learning that could be shared. So I want to share this with you and your listeners. We were very sensitive to the influencer community. And one of the big influencers were bar associations throughout the country. And every bar association had a legal technology chair. And so when we get a phone call from the legal check technology chair of the Los Angeles Bar Association, and she said that time slips crashed my computer, you people are crooks, you're stealing money from lawyers and we're gonna come get you unless you come out here and fix my computer right now. I had this moment in time where I said, well, look, you know, she paid $99 for this software. I'm about to spend two to $5,000 to go fix her computer, but it's worth it, right? That makes sense. So I was about to do that, but I couldn't get out there in time. Back then, you know, to make an airline reservation in one day was very hard. So I had this moment, an inspired moment, and I thought, well, you know, I was just in Los Angeles for a PC user group meeting back then that was very popular. And a woman came up and introduced herself and told me how much she loves time slips and how she runs her very busy legal firm all with time slips. And so her, her face shot into my mind and I figured, you know what? She may not remember me, but I'm gonna give her a call. And I did. And I said, hi, Anne, you don't know me. My name is Mitch Russo. And she goes, oh, Mitch Russo? The president of Time Slips? I said, yes. And she goes, oh, I'm so thrilled. I'm so honored to speak. And I said, thank you very much, Ann. But I have a question for you. I'm wondering if I could get some of your help. And she goes, what could I possibly do to help you? And I said, I have a customer who's not too far away from you. And she's having difficulty with her computer. And I would pay you to go over and help her if you wouldn't mind. And she said, oh, don't worry, it, it, it's done. Just, I'll go over there. In fact, you know, I'm on my lunch break now. I'll head over there right now. So I was thrilled. I called this other person. I said, don't worry, we're sending someone over right now. And it was Los Angeles and I'm in Boston. There's three hour time difference. And so now it's, you know, now into the evening and I haven't heard back yet and I'm worried. Finally, the phone rings, must've been nine o'clock at night, my time. And it's Anne. And she goes, oh, don't worry, Mitch, everything is solved. She loves time slips. I fixed her computer. It wasn't even your software. And now we set up her system and she's doing all the billing. She loves it. I said, Ann, I'm so happy. Thank you so much for your help. Um, how much do I owe you? And she goes, Mitch, don't worry about a thing and you're not going to believe what happened to me. I said, what's that? She goes, she gave me a $100 bill. 
I said, really? I'm so happy for you, Anne. You deserve that. And, she, and then she said the words that changed the trajectory of my life. Simple sentence. She said, and Mitch, if you know anyone else who needs my help, let me know because I'm available. So now I'm seeing stars in my mind as this brainstorm erupts. And I said to myself, I said, thank you so much, Anne, and hung up. But then I couldn't sleep because all I could think about is what would happen if I had two Anns in Los Angeles? No, 10 Anns in Los Angeles. No, 100 Anns all over the country. Not 100, maybe 200, maybe 300 people trained to help my clients one-on-one -on -one with their software. What would that do for my company? And that's when I invented certification. So I created a program where we started out with a test, a simple test. We charged $500 for the test. We figured five or six people would buy it. 200 people bought the test. So we created a very nice little revenue stream, six-figure revenue stream just from selling tests. And those who passed, which were about 20% of the people who bought the tests, would become certified. So, you know, happy days are here again. We have a new revenue stream. We have these certified uh, consultants. But then something goes wrong. What ends up happening now, about 60 days into the program, we're getting phone calls and tech support about the certified consultants. Some of them don't know what they're doing. Others are rude. Others, you know, show up looking like Elmer Fudd and don't know how to dress and smell like, you know, three bottles of, of scotch. And, um, and eventually, we now get threats of lawsuits from these because of these certified consultants. So what do I do? I, I'm convinced this is a great idea. So what I do is I shut down the program completely. I rescind everybody's certification and tell them if they want to stay, they have to requalify. And then I spend six months rebuilding the program based on 60 interviews I did with customers who had bad experiences with my certified consultants. And John, here's what I learned. I learned that it's not about the technical training. Yes, that's critical and that's important. It's more about the soft skills and it's more about the culture than it is about the technical side. I think you could train anybody to technically do something. But what's hard to do is arrange and create a strong culture of cooperation and a culture of camaraderie among a group. And so what I then embarked on is learning how great cultures are created because I hit upon that pretty early on in my research, realizing that this was a group that didn't support each other. This is a group that found that they were thinking of each other as competitors. And that's just wrong. That's not what I wanted. That's not, that does not adhere to my values or my vision. That's why I shut the group down. And so when I reopened the group, we previous, before doing so, we built a culture in advance and made sure that people signed off and understood what that culture was. And once I did that, not only did the complaints stop, but the compliments started, the range of incredible experiences my customers were now having because of the work just completed. And that team grew 
from what I shut down, which was 60, that I fired them all, restarted from scratch. 18 months later, I had 350 certified consultants. But here are the surprise in all of this story we're telling you. Of those 350 people, it turns out that those folks wanted desperately to sell our services and products to their customers. Well, I had resisted doing that because I didn't want to cause channel conflict. Eventually, I said, okay, and I engineered a way so that it wouldn't cause channel conflict. And they became my third largest selling platform. So I had my retail business, I had my direct sales, and now I had my certified consultants sourcing product directly into their clients. And they were also selling my support plans because they didn't want to be bothered with every little phone call. So now that certification was dropping a million in cash in profits to my bottom line just from certification fees, another million plus in sales, and yet still reduction in expenses because our tech support calls now have dropped 20%. So this was what I would call a brilliant mistake opportunity that I was able to capitalize. And to this day, after writing the book Power Tribes, I now build these types of conscious certification tribes for my clients. That's amazing. I, I love that. So in terms of like, um, obviously, you've learned a lot over the last couple of years building this company. Um, were there like challenges that you can really think of? Because it seems like you pivoted, even though there was a big mistake or something that really impacted your bottom line. And then you pivoted, you found value and opportunity to really enhance your product and enhance the morale and, you know, the, the core values of your whole company, right? Bringing everyone together. What was the biggest, I guess, mistake along the way that you can think of? Two mistakes that come to mind. <clears throat> Number one was I, my nature um, was stopping me from expanding my growth. I was, I was too insecure to delegate. Uh, and so I had to learn from others how to build a team and delegate because my belief, and this may sound like ego, but it's the opposite. My belief is I'm the best at everything that I needed to get done in the company and nobody could do it as good as me. That's really not bragging at all. That's fear saying uh, no one else can get what you do or do what you do. So therefore you have to do it yourself. Well, that is a death sentence, both for the person and the company. So instead, what I had to do is I had to learn how to train people and I had to learn how to delegate. And that's where I got deep into understanding how people learn. I, I was lucky enough to, um, we're working with Tony Robbins. I got to build a training system with Tony and Tony taught me so much. Tony is the master at how the mind works. And um, using the experience that we had together, I have today taken that and I work with my clients to help them build conscious learning systems that generate 100% comprehension. So these are all the things that people need to look out for. Uh, delegate quickly um, and do it with the proper amount of training. 
The second thing that I had difficulty with was once I hired somebody, I had a hard time letting them go. Uh, and, and so my, one of my biggest takeaways was hire slowly, fire, fire fast. fast. Yeah, I always right. and, and what I found is when I started doing that, we were able to unblock the growth in the company. We were, at one point, we had plateaued at about $3 million a year. And I, I, was, I was trying desperately to figure out how to solve this problem. There was no such thing really as business coaches back then. But I had a great attorney and he was a, he became a very close friend until he passed away. But he was really my confidant and I asked him what he thought and he, he shared with me this idea. He said, well, look, you know, um, Mitch, you've done an amazing job. I mean, you really had no experience. You don't even have a college degree. Look what you've created. You've created a, a world-class brand that is accepted as the number one product in your field but you're stymieing your own growth because you don't have the right people. And he said, further, not only don't you have the right people, you actually have the wrong people. So I took what he said to heart and I fired my entire management team, everybody. And I started rehiring everybody, but now I'm hiring people with experience. Initially I hired people who were cheap, because we couldn't afford to pay them very well. So we hired low-paid uh, low folks and taught them. And they were nice people, and I loved them desperately. But unfortunately, they did not have the skill to take us to the next level. When I brought in the skill, that's when we busted through the plateau we were on and finally reached next $5 million and then above. And, and that's how we – those were probably the two core lessons that I learned uh, and the mistakes that I made – like maybe could have gone a lot faster. There's one other thing I'll mention. Um, I told you earlier that I was financially unsophisticated. Um, that led me to never raising money for the company. I never did. Uh, I think in retrospect, that was a mistake. I think if, if I would have understood venture capital and would have had the right investor team to come in with me, we could have grown that company not to 10 million or 20 million, but to 50 or 100 million. I don't regret that because the outcome for me was incredible. You know, I became financially free at the age of 40 and, um, and have been ever since. Uh, but more importantly, uh, the experience and lessons that I've learned, I've been able to share with many, many, many other entrepreneurs to have helped them become the success that they were meant to be as well. That's, that's amazing. So along the way, throughout your journey of starting your own business and working with Tony, were there like people that really helped you, guide you, mentor you? Because I know you mentioned you didn't um, have them paid, like mentors and coaches and go through VC or angel investing. But were there people that were inspirational to your kind of success to where you are today? Yes. Um, you know, there were books and then those books, the people who wrote those books would go out on the speaking circuit. And there was one man in particular, his name is Tom Peters. Tom Peters, probably in his late seventies, early eighties by now, but Tom was a passionate speaker. And, you know, Tom um, wrote the famous book in search of excellence lessons from America's best run companies. 
And, you know, I was so moved by that book. I then went to see him speak. I flew to New York City to see him speak. And that was so impactful that I came home and booked all of his other locations and flew out to every one of them and speak over and over again. And so Tom was not realizing, not realizing he was my mentor. Tom was teaching me so much from stage and from his books until full circle just a few months ago, I got to interview Tom Peters on my show, your first thousand clients. And it was very fulfilling. Well, and that's what it all transpires, right? There's people that you look up to and there's things that you're going to do to really want to be a part of, you know, because you admire them, but they have no clue who you are, right? And there's a lot of fans out there of yourself and of Tony and of Tom Peters and everyone else. But how do you impact them in a way where they feel comfortable to want to um, share that insight, right? Like reach out. The, the challenge is there's so many people that are maybe struggling or they have this dream of being like them, but they're afraid. They're afraid to take action or do something about it. At least you went out there, pursued, you know, went to his training, read his books. And then now at a stage where you have your own show, you're able to have them as a guest. And it was amazing. So very similar. Like, I love how this podcast or have your own business or a website or YouTube videos, it allows you to connect with people that you've always looked up to. That's right. You know, it's funny because um, uh, I've interviewed a young man. Uh, his name is Zachary Babcock. You might know him. He's a podcaster. And um, he he had an interesting life. He, he apparently was, you know, basically in a gang, uh, got arrested, went to prison, came out of prison, tried to get a job. No one would give him a job. And somehow he ended up figuring out that he might want to start a podcast, which he did. And then it's interesting because people who would never give him the time of day all of a sudden were showing up to be on his show. So he had this realization that, you know, sometimes you just need to be able to elevate others in order to connect with them. And that's what podcasting is all about, John. That's why you do it. By interviewing me, you're showcasing my story, which I appreciate. But you and I would probably never have come into contact if it wasn't for your show. And I feel the same way about the 250 guests that have appeared on your first thousand clients as well. Yeah, it's it's all about giving, right? And this yes. is what people have to understand. It's not about you, it's about them. And the more you understand the world of how everything is revolved around in sales and mm -hmm. also in, in life, right? In general, people love talking about themselves. They love wanting to know what is in it for them. So right. if, you, if you understand the whole concept of buyer behavior, the intention, and really the mindset of what's going on, people have restricted time allocation. And if you can value it so that you're giving all the focus on them so they can amplify the message, it gives you an opportunity to you know, interview some great people, get to know some great people on a more personal level. And it allows you to have, build a real relationship, right? And this is just the beginning of our relationship, Mitch. But I love that because it's, it's true. It's the honesty of what life is all, all about, right? Um, 
in terms of, I, I just have a couple other questions uh, for sure. you, Mitch. Um, how has it been working or how was it working with Tony? Uh, you know, people ask me that and they expect some, I guess, some kind of a, you know, like a behind the scenes answer, like, oh, well, Tony is this or that. Tony is exactly how he appears. Okay. Tony is one of the most genuine individuals I've ever known. Um, you know, I consider Tony a friend. I don't hang out with him. Um, but Tony has called me and I've called Tony after our time together at Business Breakthroughs and I've done work for him. He asked me, one of my superpowers is scaling radio programs. So I, when I was building Business Breakthroughs, uh, we went from spending $2,000 a month to $125,000 a month on the radio. And we did that at a profit. Very few people know how to build radio campaigns profitably and scale not just the front end, but the back end too. That includes all the tracking of all of the elements of a radio campaign, knowing which spots are working, knowing what day parts are working, knowing which stations and audiences are working, and knowing how to engineer that mix so that it's profitable, plus build all of the recurring revenue streams behind all of that. Well, that's something I did naturally as part of my job at Business Breakthroughs as president and CEO. Well, Tony, and I work together on that again. And, and I still to this day help people um, uh, as well do the same thing. So, you know, uh, Tony has taught me so much. I am a student of Tony Robbins. And to this day, um, I was the luckiest guy in the world to be able to have my mentors be Chet and Tony for five solid years where both of them were, you know, a, a text or a phone call away anytime I needed them. Uh, and, it, and it benefited me greatly. And I didn't take it for granted and I didn't abuse it, but I learned a lot. And I, I think that's the most invaluable thing, right? There's people that surround you, you, your business, and even maybe it's family or friends, right? And you don't know what they're bringing to the table. And until they're ultra successful or whoever their, their influencer or brand name they could be just your neighbors, right? But they made such a big impact in your life, right? And those are the people that you want to surround more time with and focus um, helping and, you know, building and connecting and being curious and asking questions because I'm ultra curious all the time, right? So yeah. I, I'm always like, you know, my, my story is a little bit different as well as everyone else's, but everyone wants to learn a little bit more about other people. And if you ask the right question, people are willing to open up. They want to uh, embrace you and share. And this is storytelling, right? One-on-one, but it's all about like helping others amplify their message and understanding, you know, sales, you've been doing sales all your life. And it's all about like understanding the gaps and relationships of it all. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So, so I love the fact that, you know, you're able to connect with them for, for five years, but there's other people that also made a big impact, right? And walking the floors of Las Vegas, doing those, you know, trade shows. I mean, I'm sure that was tough, but you learned so much doing it, right? And oh, those, yeah. those are the times that people don't talk about. They want to talk about when you're with someone, but it's those other 10, 15 years of hard work 
grinding it, the grit, determination that no one wants to talk about. Well, you know, again, I, I mentor many people and I coach a lot of business owners. And um, what most people are not willing to do, they're the select few that are, most people are not willing to do the work. They think mm-hmm. that the internet takes the work away or they think that, you know, uh, other people look, that guy two years ago had nothing. Now he's a millionaire or something. Um, uh, but on the other hand, um, if you're willing to do the work and if you're willing to take some guidance, you could go really, really far in life. And um, my, my recommendation is always the same. Um, you know, be willing to do the work, be willing to engage a mentor and try and figure out how they and their experience can save you time. So realistically, without mentorship, without coaching, you're setting yourself up for a much longer journey and you're risking your success because with I, I've had clients and it's on my website. If you go to mitchrusso.com, you'll see dozens of coaching testimonials from my clients. Uh, and usually they say that one or two sentences in a, in, you know, casually offered during a coaching session changed the course of their business. Why? Because those were years of experience condensed down into an idea. And that's kind of what, um, you know, the, whole idea of working with the right coach is all about. I I totally agree. Shrink time allows you to really take advantage of the market, right? Because time is scarce. If you're running a business, there's always competitors. There's always things, especially in technology. um, There's always things that's going to overtake you faster, quicker, cheaper, everything else, right? Service. So you need to be nimble and fast right um so i I love the fact that you're talking about mentoring coaching um and taking advantage of it as an entrepreneur there's so much to learn if you can gain insight from someone with 20 30 years of experience that saves you sheds one or two years out of that learning curve or even five years of that learning curve it's gonna exponentially increase the revenue and sales and profitability in your business Right. So yeah, that, that's that's why I use that phrase. I say basically working with me will compress a year of time into about six to eight weeks. There you go. That's from Mitch himself. So that I love that. Um, so right now, it seems like you enjoy this coaching and mentoring aspect of your business. I know you've, you're an author as well. Um, what motivates you? What drives you today? Well, um, you know, there's a point in one's life where you have to consider the, the, the life of a person, not just the money in the business. <clears throat> um, one of the things that I, that I value is having learned to be able to appreciate what I have. Being able to appreciate what I have has allowed me to have more. Being nervous about the future and scared and insecure has in the past stopped me from having what I want. So what I do today is I try to basically spend 
as much time as I can on the things that make me happy. And that's it. So if working with a client makes me happy, I work with that client. Uh, I recently fired a client because they didn't make me happy. And I was happy to refund their money because they weren't, they weren't doing the work. And I don't, that's not fair. I can't take somebody's money if they're not going to receive any value. But at the same time, uh, they, they can't get value unless they follow the lead and do the work. So from my perspective, I just want to work only with people I like working with. I don't want to work too much. Uh, usually three days a week, I work three days a week, five to six hours a day on those three days. The, uh, the rest of the day, I, um, the rest of my time, <clears throat> excuse me, is spent on me doing my podcast, um, enjoying playing the guitar, living by the ocean. Uh, I'm a passionate photographer. I travel the world when I photograph. All these things are super important to me. That's amazing. I, I love choice, right? When you get to a point where you're ultra grateful on what you have, living presently, having abundance and having choice, that's the ultimate because you're able to pick and choose how you want to run your life, who yep. you want to spend it with, what you want to do. And if you're in business, who you want to work with, right? Yeah, that's um, right. So, so I, I love that because, you know, that's what entrepreneurs all dream about, right? But they don't understand what it takes to get to that level. And there's a lot of time that you're going to struggle, right? There's going to be a lot of peaks and valleys for sure. But if you can fast track it with a mentor or a coach like Mitch, he'll save you time. So I, I love that. Um, some of the pillars, and it sounds like you, you're traveling, you're loving the photography and you're loving the podcasting, right? So how has that been? Because for me, I'm a podcaster, as you know, and I'm enjoying just conversations with great people that I fully respect. And that's what I get out of podcasting because I'm actually having fun. Yep. Yep, exactly. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> I think I mentioned to you right before we started that my podcast is one of the primary sources of my business consulting, uh, particularly with certification. So, you know, what I did is I carefully designed my show to attract my ideal client as, as my guests. And when I interview somebody for an hour and we build a relationship, I mentioned briefly that, um, hey, you know, if you want to work with me, there's here's some of the things that we might um, might be able to do together, that kind of thing. And in many cases, they say, yes, Mitch, thanks so much for offering. I'd love to work with you. Uh, and in some cases, it doesn't work out and it shouldn't because it's not a fit. So I use the podcast as a vehicle to connect with people on a much deeper level. And I think everybody can do that either as a guest through guest hosting or as a show host yourself. That's awesome. I, I love the fact that at least you're being transparent and honest about like the purpose and people do podcasting for multiple purposes, right? They yep. obviously want to grow it to monetize most of yep. the time as a business vehicle. Um, I do it for fun, yeah. <laughs> but it's because I already have my company. I enjoy the process and I, I'm already very grateful to be living in a Western country and society where my parents from Vietnam left the Vietnam War and I didn't have anything growing up. So being at that stage and understanding how the bottom is, 
mm-hmm. to where I am, I'm ultra grateful for everything that I have. So um, I, I love this, Mitch. Um, how can some of the audience members get a hold of you, reach out to you, check your uh, website or follow you on social? Well, <clears throat> I actually have a free gift to your listeners. If, uh, if, if you'd like, I could share that. Yeah, definitely. So I, I put together a, a guide that shares the three key strategies that I use and I have used in my 40-year career to build my businesses, and most of them are free. That free guide is called ProfitStackingSecrets.com. And if you go there, you could basically enter your email address and you'll get the, it's the whole guide, which is a paid guide, is 28 strategies, including 30 additional lessons that come with the uh, guide itself. But you get the first three for free just by going to ProfitStackingSecrets.com. And um, my website for my my personal coaching is MitchRusso.com. So uh, and if you want to communicate with me, just go to MitchRusso.com and there's a form you could fill out to to drop me a note. Uh, Go to ProfitStackingSecrets.com and get your free report. I suggest that you grab the paid version, which is, I believe, on sale right now for $27. The companion spreadsheet system is on sale normally $100 for $19. So my thought is if it's something, if you're serious about marketing and you want to shortcut the process and you want to grab 40 years of wisdom in a, in a relatively, for a relatively small amount of money, go get that. Awesome. I really appreciate that, Mitch. I'll probably do that because for me, marketing is my life. I enjoy it. (laughs) Um, But I really want to thank you for all the time and wisdom and value that you brought to the show. Um, And we'll stay in touch for sure. If you're ever in Toronto, Canada, let me know. We'll hang out. Um, And if I'm down in Florida, I'll definitely ring you up. Thanks a lot, Mitch. (laughs) Please do so, John. Thank you. for listening to our latest podcast. Please subscribe to Local SEO Today and tune in to our next episode.